The New York Times recently featured an article exploring the current confusion over friendship. If you were to ask, the article goes, people to define friendship, maybe if I ask you what does it mean to be a friend, and even if you ask experts who research the idea of friendship, it says that you'll get an uncomfortable silence followed by some, um, I'm not quite sure. Alexander Nehemas says friendship is very, very difficult to describe. He is a professor of philosophy at Princeton University who actually wrote a book on friendship, and it consists of over around 300 pages trying to describe what it means to be a friend. He says it's easier to say what friendship is not, and foremost, he says, it is not a means to obtain higher status, okay, we could agree with that, or to wrangle an invitation from someone to get to their vacation home. That would be a perk of friendship, but not the the main reason, or to simply escape your own boredom, so your friends, right, generally are just not there to amuse you, even though they might. He says friendship should be appreciated for its own sake. Ronald Sharp, a professor who teaches a course on the literature of friendship, adds this, it's not about what someone can do for you. We would agree with that, right? And he says people are so eager to maximize the efficiency of relationships that they have lost touch with what it means to be a friend. So maybe I'll ask you, what do you think it means to be a friend? Sure, we all have ideas about that, and, and it's, it's hard in our culture, especially with regards to the language of friendship, right, because we have a lot of Facebook friends, right, and we're going to talk about that. They're not all really our friends, are they? Yeah, I think about when I walk in the mall, and you're walking in the mall, and you're walking past those kiosks, right, and there's those guys out there, and I always tell Tell my daughter, if I'm walking, walking with my daughter, avert your eyes. Don't look those guys square in the eyes because you're going to end up in some sort of salt hand bath in a matter of seconds. You're not even going to know how it happened. But the way they talk to me, you know what they say to me? Hey, hey, pal. Hey, buddy. Oh, we're, we're friends? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. Well, before you ask me, hey, can I borrow $5? How about your car? Before I go into this salt hand bath, maybe you can do me a little favor since we're, we're chums and all, right? But you have that language of friendship, and, and that's, I, I don't know that guy from Adam. You're not my friend, you're not my pal, you're not my buddy. I think one of the first things that we want to see in this passage today is that the Christian community, the community of Jesus Christ, should provide a living definition to the world of what it means to be a good friend. We should set the definition, and that definition is going to come from our passage today. We should set the definition of what friendship looks like with each other and what friendship with Jesus Christ looks like, as we're going to see in the next few verses. Within this passage, we're going to look at two calls and then this idea of friendship. So the first call 
is what we are called to. The second call is what we are called when or because. So the first call, we are called to love our friends sacrificially. We are called to love our friends sacrificially. Verses 12 through 13 in John chapter 15, this is what he says. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus here is talking about love among friends, and I want you to look around the room. These are your friends. The Christian community is called to love each other, to love our friends, and to love each other sacrificially, willing to give our physical lives for one another. That is the standard of love that Jesus Christ calls all of his disciples. And we're going to keep it right here at Galilee today. You can, yes, we're called to love all those Christians out there, absolutely. But those people are easy to love. Why? Because they're not with us every single Sunday. So these people, this is where it gets very difficult, isn't it? Doesn't it? And he's calling us to be willing to do what? To die for each other. That is the standard. That's the bar. However, we always like to do what? We like to lower the bar, don't we? A guy talks about a time in, 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 when a couple goes to a pastor and they're having problems. The feeling has left their marriage. So they're thinking about, you know, kind of calling it quits. And, and they want the pastor to give the blessing on that, right? And they want to say, yeah, well, you're, if your feeling's left, your feeling's all gone, right? You don't, yeah, just forget about it. And the pastor says, well, instead, let's look at this. So he says to the husband, well, the Bible tells you to love your wife as Jesus Christ loved the church. Can you do that? And he says, no, that's way too high of a standard. I can't do that. He says, okay, well, let's bring it down a notch. Let's go to, can you love her like a neighbor, right? Because the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you think you can, you think you can do that? No, 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 that's, that's way too high. I can't do that. He says, okay, well, can you, let's start here. He says to love your enemies. Can you, can you love your enemies? And what, what does the guy generally want to do? Or what do people like to do? We like to lower the bar, don't we? We want to lower the bar when it comes to discipleship so that everyone can hop over it and everyone can feel awesome about themselves. Jesus doesn't do that. And in the Christian culture that we find ourselves in, with regards to discipleship, does just this. We don't like commands. This is his command. When, when he said, if you, you want to abide in my love, you need to obey my commands, just what we said last week, this is one of his commands. And his command is to love one another sacrificially, meaning the willingness to lay down your physical life for those people sitting next to you. This is the standard. And what happens within Christianity is we look at that and we make all these excuses as to why we can't do that. 
then we bury the bar. Jesus sets it up here. Jesus Christ gave his life for you and me. And you and I, because of the life that we have, that he gave us, are to live that example out every day within the church. They have not seen the limits of Jesus' love for them. And now Jesus has established a relationship with them. Yes, Jesus is going to die for his enemies, but he's established this relationship with his disciples. And he's dying for his friends. And they are going to see in brutal, horrific fashion what it means to love a friend. Because he's going to go to the cross for them. Do you think this verse is, do you think this, what he says is going to come to their minds? Greater love has no one than this. And not only this, but Jesus has sacrificed for them up to this point, hasn't he? How How has Jesus sacrificed for them? Jesus left the comforts of his home. The the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, left heaven. And he's entered into their world. He's entered into their pain. He's entered into their sorrow. He's entered into their grief. Isn't that what a good friend does? He doesn't stand from a distance and say, God bless you, I'll be praying for you. He gets right involved with them. And that's exactly what you and I are to do. We're not to stand afar from each other, but we're to walk into each other's worlds in the pain, in the sorrow, in the grief, and we're to help each other in our deepest need. It's exactly what Jesus Christ does. And he does all this. He, he, he remains with them throughout this entire time, and they are going to flee from him. They're going to abandon him. They're going to leave him. In 1 John 3.16, it's interesting because John, again, is going to talk about this same idea. And he talks about loving each other the way that Christ, he says, he died for us, and therefore we are to love each other in the same fashion. And Jesus has remained with them despite their failures and despite their personalities. Do you think it was easy being a friend with Peter? <laughs> this is one of the funniest little post things I've, saw, I've seen. He said, nobody talks about the Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. That's hard to do. It's hard to maintain relationships, especially with someone like Peter, isn't it? But he does. He sticks it out. It is not about what I can get from someone, but it is about what I can give to someone. It's not about what I need It's about what they need and how can I provide and meet that need. That's the basis of friendship. And believe me, this world needs to see this type of love because it's not out there right now, is it? 
That's why we come together. Yes, we come together, we sing, we sing praises, we come together, we hear God's word, but we come together because this world is cold right now, isn't it? And we need each other. We need to love each other in this fashion so this world can come in and look at us and be like, you guys really know what it means to be a good friend. You guys know what love is all about. I was walking the other day and I was, I was going to Azul, the, uh, the uh, Mexican place right here in Gorm. Has anyone been to that? That's got, they got really, really good burritos. And I was walking to get a burrito. And I, was, I had a meeting here later on. And I'm walking in a crosswalk. And, you know, so you have the, the daycare on one side and the church on the one side of the street. You have the crosswalk and you have the stop sign. And I'm walking, and, I'm, and it's a stop sign and a crosswalk. So you got two things going for the drivers right there. Stop sign, crosswalk. There I am. And someone pulls up and they stop. And I'm, I'm like, okay, this is usually how it happens, right? And I start walking out of the stop sign. I'm three quarters of the way through. And I get hit by that car. I like saying I get hit by a car. It sounds really cool. I got So three quarters of the way through, I am on the driver's side at that point, And she goes, and I go, and then I, I didn't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit self-control at that time. I lost it. And I'm like, because I was just stunned. I thought I had it. And I'm looking, and I go, what on earth just happened? You know what she does? she doesn't even roll down her window. I'm like, I could have just displaced my whole hip. Did you see how I turned? Like, she didn't even roll down her window and go, I'm sorry, sir, that I just nailed you with my vehicle. Are you okay? And you know what? I, I, I don't know if I was raising my head and said this out loud, out loud, but I thought of the verse, the love of many will grow cold. And that, and that's what happens. What is where? And I'm like, where am I? What's happening? Well, do you think the church needs to be the absolute opposite of that? You better believe it. I'm hoping if you hit someone, you're going to roll down the window and ask if you're okay, especially if it's your brother in Christ. But this is, Jesus wants us to be him to each other so the world can look at us and say, wow, they're disciples of Jesus Christ because they're loving each other the same way or in the same, to the same extent that he has loved them. That is a radical love. It's a supernatural love. And it's a love that this world needs to see. This is what friendship within the church of Jesus Christ looks like. And folks, if that's the standard, if the bar is death, because that's it, and if you don't have that in your mind, right, if I don't have that in my mind, we need to get it there. That's what he calls us to. We need to be willing to physically sacrifice our lives for each other. That is the greatest of all loves. And when we do that, we reveal what Jesus Christ looks like. And if that's the bar, 
if that's the standard, doesn't everything else fall underneath it? Shouldn't then we be able to sacrifice our time for each other? Shouldn't we be able to sacrifice our resources for each other? Shouldn't we be able to meet the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of each other even at our own expense? That we make it a point to do so. That the goal of our conversations is not a bunch of me time, but that the person we're talking to feels valued and listened to. This is practical love. That we, we can accept and we can love the personalities of each other. And we can value those individuals for not who we want them to be, but for who they are in Jesus Christ. That's love. We accept one another. We respect each other. And we support each other. You think about it this way, just practically looking at ministries in the church. When you have a ministry in the church, and, and maybe it's an event, maybe someone's worked so hard to put this on, and maybe they're so gung-ho about this ministry, but it's just not your cup of tea. You're like, ah, that doesn't really do it for me. I don't think I'm going to participate in that. That's just not, that's not my wheelhouse. I don't really like it. Maybe you're not even, going to, not even going to show up for the event. Instead of looking at it like that, that's focused on whom? That's focused on me. Maybe, maybe we should look at it and be like, I love that person. I may not like that ministry. I may not like the way they're doing it, but I love them. I'm going to go and support them. That's practical love. That's sacrificial love. It focuses not on ourselves, it focuses on each other, and it sacrifices something for the other person. You know, we often look at 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to start wrapping this point up here. We often look at 1 Corinthians 13, and we want to look at that passage for what? Weddings, don't we? We want to take that passage, and, and please, if you've ever used that passage in your marriage or anything, that's okay. That's, that's fine. We can use that passage for because you need to have that kind of love. I hope we're all loving our husbands and, and wives in that way. But guess what? That's not Paul's target. Paul is not Cupid. He's not aiming an arrow at a couple. Do you know where Paul is aiming that arrow? Right here, folks, right at the church. That passage falls in between what? Chapter 12 and chapter 14, which talk about members of the body and the use of spiritual gifts. And right in the center, the glue that holds everything together is this type of love. Do we want a definition of what it looks like? Let's ask ourselves. And you can put someone in your head, maybe that you have a hard time with in this church. And that's okay. They're there. It's all right. It might be me. You might be looking right at me. Pastor Mark, this is you. So you can ask yourself, am I patient with Mark? Am I, am, I, am I forbearing with Mark? You know, am I giving God a chance to work in Mark, Mark's heart before I, before I take over the job of the Holy Spirit? How about am I kind? Not am I truthful, right? Because we, well, I, what I told you was true, so we feel like we can, it's true. <laughs> Right? That's how we feel. It's true, so we can say it. My mom used to say, if you can't say anything 
nice, don't say anything at all. That's great advice from, from, from the moms, right? You can't say anything nice. Am I actually kind to people? Or am I saying things that actually might hurt their feelings? Whether it's true or not. Am I jealous? Am I jealous of people's position? Am I jealous of what they have? Am I jealous of their relationship? Am I arrogant? If I look around, do I think I'm better than people? Do I think I'm more spiritual? Do I think I'm a perfect spiritual specimen and everyone needs to look like me in the church? Am I self-righteous? Do I dishonor others? Do I gossip about them? Do I talk about them behind their backs? You see Pastor Mark's sweater? <laughs> type of pastor does that? Who wears narwhals? Am I, you know, am I dishonoring people? Am I throwing out their dirty laundry for everyone to see? Am I self-seeking? Am I, am I in it for me? Am I coming here for me, primarily? And am I willing to run over everyone? Am I easily offended? There's a good one, huh? Am I sensitive? Do I take offense very easily, very readily? And do I mark those offenses down in a ledger? Do I got a little book on everyone in the church? Oh, yeah, Bob? Yeah, let me talk it out right. He's got like 18 things against him right now. This is practical, practical love. It's the love that we're called to in the church, and the only competition needs to be outdoing one another to honor each other. That's what he calls us to. Self-denying, sacrificial love. Earl C. Weiler tells a story of two men who grew up as best friends, though Jim was a little older than Philip and often assumed the role of a leader. They did everything together. They were best friends. They even went to high school and college together. After college, they decided to both joined the Marines. By a unique set of circumstances, series of circumstances, they were sent to Germany together where they fought side by side in one of the history's ugliest wars. One sweltering day during a fierce battle amid heavy gunfire, bombing, and close quarters combat, they were given the command to retreat. As the men were running back, Jim noticed that Philip had not returned with the others and panic gripped his heart. Jim knew if Philip was not back in another minute or two, he wouldn't make it. Jim begged his commanding officer to let him go after his friend, but the officer forbade the request, saying it would be absolute suicide. Risking his own life, Jim disobeyed, went after Philip, his heart pounding. He ran into the gunfire, calling out for Philip. A short time later, his platoon saw him hobbling across the field, carrying a limp body in his arms. Jim's commanding officer upbraided him, shouting that it was absolutely foolish 
It was a waste of time and an outrageous risk. Your friend is dead, he added. And there was nothing you can do. Jim replied, no, sir, you're wrong. I got there just in time. Before he died, his last words were, I knew you would come. I knew you would come. Let me ask you something. Is that what type of friend we are? Go into the line of fire? Risk our own lives? And are we the type of friend that someone knows that we're going to be there when they need us the most? That's the type of friend that Jesus calls us to. And when we do, we're called Jesus' friends. This is the second calling. We're called Jesus' friends when we do. When we follow the commandment to lay down our lives for each other, Jesus welcomes that type of friendship. Verses 14 through 15, listen to what Jesus says here. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends, for all the things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. We talked about this idea of Facebook friendship. So uh, the question is posed, are, you friends, are your friends on Facebook actually your friends? According to an appeals court in Florida, legally, Facebook friends aren't necessarily your friends. So everyone's off the hook there. The court dove into this question because of a judge who may have been required to recuse herself from a case because there was an attorney involved in the case that was friends with the judge on Facebook. However, the court ruled that the recusal was not necessary because Facebook data mining and algorithms lead people to accept friend requests from people they hardly know or just acquainted with. Maybe How many people have friends like that on Facebook? Here you go. Right, I just got a friend request pretty recently that... And I have no idea who this individual is. I just, and I feel bad to delete the request, but I don't know. I have no, I don't know who you are, right? And so Jesus is sending out what? A friend request. But, but here's the question. Let me ask you something. If a court were to judge your friendship with Jesus Christ based on what Jesus Christ has just said, Will they find you guilty of being a true friend of Jesus Christ? Because that's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I'm going to let you know, if you were to go and look into a commentary on this passage, they do not think this verse is conditional. They don't think it's conditional. And I had to really think long and hard about this because if I were to agree with them, I would have disagreed with Pastor Dave. And I don't think I've ever disagreed with Pastor Dave in my life. And I saw him this week and I said, look, Dave, you're going against the grain on this. Everybody goes to the opposite direction. They don't think that this verse is conditional, but I'm, I decided to stay and agree with, with Pastor Dave because of three things. Let me point out, and I just want to cover this just so, because you're going to see differences here, that that friendship is already established, 
Just remember what Jesus has been talking about. Yes, we're friends, but we don't experience the friendship or the blessing of that friendship if I am not loving you the way he wants me to. There's a disconnect there. But first reason that I believe this verse is conditional is because the word if is conditional. And it's, it's, in the, it's in the Greek. If you look it up and hover a cursor on the Logos Bible system, it's going to say condition. So there's your first clue. And then the verb that follows is in the present tense. If you do, if you're doing, if you are actively loving your brother and sister in Jesus Christ. John, later on, takes this passage, expands on it, and he says, if you, if, you, if you say you love God but hate your brother, what? No, you're, you're lying. Something's wrong. And the whole, whole book of 1 John is about what? Fellowship. This is about relationship. The second reason why I think this is conditional is because Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves. And just a few verses later, he calls them slaves. What is going on? Why is he saying that? That relationship isn't gone. The master-servant relationship is not gone. What happens is when we're loving and abiding in his commandments, that relationship is changed to a friendship relationship. There's a sharing. There's a mutual heart behind things because I can obey Jesus Christ just out of duty, a cold obligation with no active fellowship that's going on there. People do it all the time. And also, another reason is that this really goes back to what Jesus was saying in John 14, 21, where he says, if you're, if, you're a bi- if you're close to me, I am sharing things with you. Where obedience means deeper fellowship, and it means more self-disclosure. First, Jesus does consider, it's an invitation to friendship, but just like we can reject his love by disobedience, you and I can reject his friendship. By what? Not loving his friends. And that's the gist of what Jesus is saying here. So you imagine this, right? I'm going to be your friend. We're going to be friends. And then you introduce me. We're friends, right? You, we're friends. Okay. You introduce me to your friends, right? And then, so I'm, I'm introduced to your friends. The next day, I go and beat up all your friends. I just, be, I pummel them. And then I go to you. And I'm like, hey, you want to hang out? And you're like, you just beat up my friend. Well, it doesn't matter because we're friends, right? We're and then I want to hang out with you, but I'm beating up your friends. Are you going to still want to hang out with me in the same sense that you did before? No, I hope not, because then we got to talk. There's other problems going on there. But that's what we want to do. We want to be friends with Jesus. We want to share in this fellowship with Jesus Christ, but we go beat up his friends. And we're like, hey, and we're like that lady who we talked about last week. We want to have our quiet time early in the morning and fellowship But then the rest of the day, we're just going to walk in disobedience. It can't happen. There's no earthly relationship that works like that. Why would a heavenly one work like that? So, and I love this, I love this quote of what Pastor Dave says about this slave relationship. 
the obedience of affection arises out of self-disclosure. The obedience of affection arises out of self-disclosure. So Jesus shares his heart with us. And what's his heart? His heart is to love each other. That's his heart. Jesus is saying to us personally, he's saying, Mark, I want to share in this friendship with you, and I want you to be a vessel of my love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you, do you think you could do that? And I say, yes, absolutely, Lord. I want to love them the same way you love them. I want to love them with your love. Why? Because I love him. If I love Jesus Christ, and if I want to be in a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, I need to love you. Why? Because he loves you. I I can't stress how important this is. It is absolutely crucial for a healthy church. You you want a healthy church? Do you want a church that's vibrant? You know, we talk about the unity and how next year we're focusing on fellowship. You want that to succeed? This is the answer. Because when we're loving each other in this fashion, that relationship with Jesus Christ is maintained and it is vibrant, and it is nourished, and it becomes one big circle. I'm loving him, he's loving me, I'm loving you, we're one big happy family. Can you imagine if the church were to love in this fashion? A friend shares in the heart behind the command, doesn't he? I think about when I worked in Long Creek. I had supervisors that were not my friends. <laughs> I did, as a matter of fact, just, yeah, not, we were a supervisors. He was my supervisor. And I was the employee. But did I listen to them? Absolutely. Because I had to, right? I didn't like them. I wasn't friends with them but I obeyed them, we can get into that same type of relationship with Christ. It can just become mechanical. It can be a slave-master relationship. But then there were people that I worked with that were my friends. And they shared with me, and I shared with them. I think of my friend Chad. One of the greatest persons to work with in that job was one of my good friends, Chad. And I knew his heart behind why he did things. So that made it what? Easier for me to what? Obey him and follow it. Why? Yeah, those things were good, but I liked him, and I was in a relationship with him. And because I did, I'm going to obey him. We can follow Jesus. We can can be servants. It can be distant. It can be cold. It can... The heart isn't there. 
He wants this. He invites us into a friendship, but we can reject that friendship if I'm rejecting the people sitting next to me. We are not servants, we are friends when we obey out of love. I think about the relationship that I have with Pastor Kevin, and I can't tell you just how, how wonderful it is to serve with a friend and to share in a heart together in, in ministry. I share with him. He knows why I do the things that I do. He knows my heart behind all of this. And, and I know his heart behind things. So when, when I ask Kevin to dress up in some weird outfit next Sunday and to wave to people in oncoming traffic, he's going to love to do that because he, he, we're friends. He's just going to love it. I'm just kidding. I'm not, Jenny's like, I'm going to go tell him. Don't tell him it's a joke. We'll wait and see what happens. Kevin, I want you to dress up like a snowman. Wave to people outside. Thank you, Mark. But we, you can see the difference, right? There's a difference between that. Why? Because there's a relationship. And the, but the relationship is centered on the heart. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to love each other because we want to love each other. Because we know it's good. And because we want to express His love to the people He loves and to do so in the same fashion. You know, I pulled a few people in, in, in the office on, when I was doing this sermon. I just asked them, what, what does it mean to be friends with Jesus? They said all of these things. It means intimacy. It means relationship. It means sharing. And it means it goes both ways. And that's the, that's the key, isn't it? It goes both ways. Jesus invites us to be his friends and to share in that friendship, but we can reject that if we're not loving his friends when we choose to do so out of love. In his book, Christian Atheist, Craig Groschel offers a litmus test of sorts that might shed a little light on your relationship with God. He says, if you call me Pastor Greg, chances are you know a little bit about me. You know what I do Maybe you've heard me speak, maybe you're familiar with some of my favorite topics and my upfront personality. He says, but your use of my title doesn't mean that you know me personally. He says, you might just call me Greg, and then I assume that you know me even better. My friends call me Greg, and, and we're close. He goes, then there are those that possess exclusive rights to a few specialized, far more intimate forms of address. Six beautiful small people that are very dear to me whom I allow to climb up on my lap. They rub their hands on my face and say things like, you need to shave, you're the best, and can I have some candy? They call me Daddy. The name, he says, reveals the intimacy, doesn't it? So we can ask the question, what do you, what do you call God? I think it's a better question. What does Jesus call you? The title reflects the relationship. And while the world is searching for a definition of friendship, Jesus has provided it. And if, if you want to be Jesus' friends, if I want to be Jesus' friend, I must sacrificially 
love his. He provides a good definition of friendship, what it means to love our friends and what it means to be friends with Jesus. It means to love his friends in the same way that he has loved each and every single one of us. And he loved us by coming to earth, entering our pain, and dying for us on a cross. So I guess we can ask ourselves the question, are we friends of Jesus? Father, thank you for your word to us, Lord, and thank you for the challenge to love each other in such a way. Lord, I know in my own heart it is very, very difficult at times to love people in this fashion. I'm selfish. I fail often. But you are a God of love. You are a God of grace. You have given us your Holy Spirit, Lord, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in my heart and in all the hearts that are those that are here in this church today. Lord, that we can love each other in this way, that we can really sacrifice for each other. We can really look after one another, that we can reveal Christ and His love to each and every single person in this fellowship, and that we do so for your glory and your glory alone. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.